We turn this morning to John chapter 21. Please turn there in your Bible, John chapter 21. I'm going to begin reading at verse 15 from John chapter 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time of worship today. And for the opportunity, Lord, to open the pages of your word and allow your Holy Spirit to teach us. And we pray, Lord, that you would indeed give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that are hungering and thirsting for you. And, Father, that you would do that work in our midst today that you desire to do. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight today. O God, our rock and our redeemer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of the programs that I enjoy watching on TV, besides sports, of course, are these programs that restore something. Uh, could be a car, could be a, a home, could be just about anything, but if you compare the picture of whatever it is before, and then see it after, sometimes it's really amazing. You ask yourself, how in the world could they start with this and end up with that? Restoration. Quite an amazing thing. Do you believe that God is in the business of restoration? He indeed is. He can take those that are lost in sin, those, are, those who are spiritually dead, and He can give them spiritual life. We praise God for that. Jesus died and rose again that men and women, boys and girls, might come into a living relationship with Jesus. He is still restoring lives in that way. And God is also in the business of restoring even those who have fallen, those who had walked with Jesus, but fell and need to be brought back into a living relationship with the Lord and need to be restored for ministry and we see that in our text today as we look at the life of Peter 
This man who was very self-confident, uh, he told Jesus, you know, I will never deny you, I will stand with you, I will never forsake you, I'm not sure about the other disciples, but I'll stand with you, Jesus. And three times he denied him, and now Jesus is publicly restoring Peter to ministry. I believe there are four lessons we learn about being restored. First of all, notice that Jesus restores us by reminding us of our calling. Reminding us of our calling. We have an interesting situation in the early part of this chapter where Peter decides to go fishing. Verse 3, he says, I'm going fishing. And there were some who said, well, we'll, we'll come with you. And there are various views as to why he went fishing. Some think it was just a, you know, a recreational thing. When uh, my son Andrew says, I'm going fishing, I sometimes say, I'm going too. Okay? We go to Medicine Lake and we, we fish. Throw him back, but we fish. Others believe that Peter went fishing out of necessity, that he is needing to provide for his family. And so he's out in the boat there getting some fish for that reason. And still others claim that Peter was returning to his former livelihood as if he was turning his back on ministry. I don't know that we can say for sure which one of these is correct, but what we can say for sure is that Jesus used this fishing trip to remind Peter and the other disciples of their calling. The first time Jesus called Peter was read this morning from Matthew chapter 4. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, that picture was the first picture that Peter was given of what ministry is about. And being a fisherman, he obviously understood that. And that calling was reinforced in Luke chapter 5. When the disciples came in, they had fished all night, and they caught nothing. And remember, Jesus said, go out into the deep, it was daytime now, let down your nets, and you will catch some fish. Well, Peter was a fisherman, and he realized, you know, you don't go in the deep, you don't go through the daytime, you go in the shallower waters at night. But remember what he said to Jesus? He said, Lord, if you say so, I'll do it. And you remember what happened. They went out and let down their nets, and they were about to break. <laughs> it was such a huge catch of fish. Remember what Peter said, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He had seen the glory and majesty of God in that miraculous catch of fish. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Peter, don't fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. Another reminder of what his calling would be. So then we come to chapter 21 of John, and this is after Jesus had risen from the dead. And they go out fishing, and the end of verse 3 says, They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, verse 4, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? 
He knew that, and the obvious answer to that question was no, they didn't. So he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, rightly so, it is the Lord. How did he know that? Well, earlier, what had happened? All night, no fish. Go out, put your net out. Huge catch. Catch any fish? No. Go on the other side of the boat. And again, a huge catch of fish. They knew exactly what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was reminding them of what he had called them to do. They weren't supposed to catch fish, but they were called to catch men. Now, I know that it's fun to catch fish. And I've got some pictures of massive fish that I've caught over here. It's actually just one, one big one. But it's fun, isn't it? Go out there and enjoy the, the, the lake and the water and relax and, and catch fish. But isn't it much better to catch men? Isn't that a greater calling to be involved in, in the work of evangelism, the work of missions, to let down the gospel net, huh? Invite people to, to come to Jesus? Because after all, when you catch fish, they die and you've got to clean them, right? And any of you who have done any fishing over the years, you know that cleaning the fish is not the most fun thing, is it? I can remember going out in the garage after catching fish. The kids are off playing, of course, you know, they're having fun. And Dad's out in the garage, mosquitoes biting him, you know, and getting all stinky and smelly. Have to clean those dead things. So when you catch fish, they die and they have to be cleaned. But when you catch men, they live. And who does the cleaning? God does. That's much better, isn't it? And that's our calling. And Peter needed to be reminded of that. He restored him that day by reminding him of the calling. The second thing Jesus does as he restores us is reminds us of his provision. Because if we're going to be involved in his calling, we need to understand his provision. So notice when the disciples reached shore with their huge catch of fish, they saw something that was very inviting, I'm sure. Verse 9 says, so when they got out, of the, out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it. And bread. And can you imagine how hungry they were after fishing all night, didn't catch a thing, to come to shore, and here is this fire, and there is fish, and there is bread. Kind of reminds me of our traveling to Colorado for the fly convention, driving all night. And then you get to love, at least for us, we got to Loveland, Colorado, and it was early in the morning. Hadn't eaten a whole lot during the night, maybe a little bit, you know, sunflower seeds to keep yourself awake, stuff like that. And you get to the 
Perkins in Loveland. Oh, that tasted good. After driving all night to have food. I suppose it's possible that someone provided this meal for Jesus and his disciples, but I tend to believe that Jesus was the one who provided this meal. And if you look closely at what, what he fed them, you'll see something interesting that should have brought to their minds a memory from the past. Fish and bread. Verse 9 and verse 13, John mentions fish and bread. And interestingly enough, both of these nouns, fish and bread, are singular. Which would mean one fish, one loaf of bread. Seven people. You're going to feed seven people on one fish and one loaf of bread? How could Jesus feed them? Do I even need to ask that question? How would he feed them? What did this remind them of? How about the time when he had, what, five loaves and two fish? How many did he feed? About 5,000. And another time he had seven loaves and a few small fish, and he fed 4,000. Is Jesus trying to remind his disciples of something? Because in John chapter 6, when we see that miracle, shortly after that, Jesus starts talking about the bread of life that comes down from heaven. That's Jesus. Provides spiritual nourishment for us, spiritual strength for us. He is also the one that provides our daily bread. What did he teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. He's our provider. Spiritually, the living bread that comes down from heaven. Physically, the bread we need for our daily provision. Jesus wanted to remind them of that. First of all, of our calling and then his provision. And he will not call us to do anything other than what he provides us the strength that we need to do it. The third lesson we learn here, Jesus restores us by reminding us of our weakness. We might think that's a bit strange. <laughs> Wouldn't he want to remind us of our great power and strength as we go out and conquer? <laughs> he reminds us of our weakness. And if there was ever one who needed to be reminded of his weakness, wouldn't you say it was probably Peter? Because he was a very self-confident man. He told Jesus, I will never forsake you. I'm willing to follow you. He wasn't so, so sure about the other disciples, but he was certainly sure about himself. And he failed miserably, didn't he? Three times. He denied that he even knew Jesus. And when Jesus addresses Peter in verse 15, it's clear that a mild rebuke is about to come because he calls him Simon. And when Jesus called him Simon, it was often there was some kind of a rebuke coming. And so in verse 15, it says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me 
more than these. Now there's a question about what he means by that more than these. What are the these? And we can't really be absolutely sure because the word these, whether it is a masculine or a neuter, it's the same spelling. So it could be, Peter, do you love me more than these, these things here, these, this, this boat and these nets? Do you love me more than fishing? <laughs> do you love me more than this here occupation? Or if we take it as a masculine, it could be, Peter, do you love me more than these, these men, these others? These ones that, that you, you thought you were more faithful than these men? Do you, do you love me more than, than these? Peter, you claim that you are committed to me more than the disciples, but, but are, you, are you really, Peter? As many of you know, our English translations don't catch what's going on here with the word love because there's two words used for love here in this give and take of, of Jesus with Peter. One is the word agape, which is a common word to us, that, that, that deep, that uh, highest form of love, that sacrificial love, that love of commitment. And then there is the word phileo, which, which is more like a friendship love, an affection love. And these two words then are, are used in this conversation. You need, to, you need to see that to grasp what's, what's happening here. So in verse 15, Jesus asked Peter, do you, do you agape me? Do you love me? Do you have that deep commitment of love for me? Peter answers by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I have an affection for you. You know that I have that friendship love. So Jesus digs a little deeper with the second question, because he doesn't say, do you love me more than these? He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? As if to say, do you love me at all? Do you love me, Peter? Do you, do you agape me? Do you have that deep love for me? Peter says the same thing. Lord, you know that I phileo you. <laughs> I have that friendship, love, affection for you. And then the third question that Jesus asks digs a little deeper into Peter's heart because now Jesus uses the word phileo. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you, do you have an affection for me? Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord... You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. It's obvious that there had been a change of heart in the life of Peter. Before he denied Jesus, he had such great confidence in himself, but now his self-confidence is gone and Peter is finally recognizing his weakness. Andreas Kostenberger says this, Perhaps at long last Peter has learned that he cannot follow Jesus in his own strength and has realized 
the hollowness of affirming his own loyalty in a way that relies more on his own power of will than on Jesus' enablement. And isn't that a necessary thing if we are going to be an effective worker in the kingdom? We must recognize how weak we are and how dependent we are on Jesus, right? And that's the point where Jesus needed to bring Peter, recognizing his own weakness. Not thinking that he was so strong that he would never fall, that he would never go down a certain pathway. What does Scripture say about that? The one who thinks, he stands. Take heed, look out, lest you fall. Do you see how weak you are? I hope you do. I hope you do. So you recognize how dependent we are upon Jesus. Because in our weakness, what does Paul say? God's strength is made perfect. When we're strong in ourselves, we're not depending on Jesus, are we? (laughs) But when we realize how weak we are, then his strength is made perfect in our life. So Jesus restores us by reminding us of our weakness. And finally, Jesus restores us By reminding us of his plan. His plan. The first command that Jesus gave to Peter, about three years prior to this, was the command to follow me. Read from Matthew 4, verse 19. And now that Peter has been restored and publicly restored, Jesus repeats that command in verse 19. But first he tells Peter that following him was not going to be easy. In fact, Jesus gives Peter really a prophecy of how Peter was going to die. Look at verse 18. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And then verse 19 says, Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Now some suggest here that Jesus is simply telling Peter that when you get old, you lose some of your independence. And that's a fact, obviously. And sometimes as you get older, someone needs to dress you and they might bring you where you don't want to go. Okay? But Jesus makes it clear in verse 19 that he was signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And this is why the phrase where it says, you will stretch out your hands, is likely a reference to crucifixion. That Peter was going to die like Jesus did. His hands would be stretched out. He would suffer and die on a cross. 
And so Jesus is telling Peter that his plan for him isn't going to be easy. But he says that through it all, Peter will glorify God. Signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Now, I don't know that I would like to have a prophecy of how I'm going to die, would you? There are some knowledge, some things I would rather not know. But Peter knew. And so when he heard that, he asked Jesus a question that really isn't wise for us to ask. Verse 20, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, that was John, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about this man? Now you've told me what's going to happen to me. What about John? What's going to happen to him? Peter was wanting to compare here what he would have to face compared to what John would face. And that's never a good thing to do. And notice how Jesus answered Peter in verse 22. Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And then he says, You just follow me. If I want John to remain until I come, what's that to you? In other words, I have a specific plan for you, Peter, and I have a specific plan for John. You just follow me and let me take care of the rest. You see what a trap that is to fall into, that trap of comparing? We start to ask why some have it easier than we do, or why someone has more success than we do? And what does that lead to? Discontentment, discouragement, fear, all kinds of things. Warren Wiersbe says, I recall a critical time in my own ministry when I was disturbed because, of, uh, because other ministers were apparently getting God's blessing in abundance. Well, I seem to be reaping a meager harvest. I must confess that I envied them. And I wish that God had given their gifts to me. But the Lord tenderly rebuked me with this verse. What is that to you, Warren? Follow me. He says it was just the message I needed and I have tried to heed it ever since. That's a message we need to hear as well, isn't it? We need to hear that message. If you need to be restored today, Jesus simply says, follow me. If you've never walked with Jesus, He said, it's time to begin following me. 
If you are walking in fellowship with Jesus today, he says to you, continue to follow me. And so don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself with others. He has a plan for you. And as you follow him, he will provide everything you need to fulfill that plan. Joseph Henry Gilmore has written the hymn, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought. And the refrain says, He leadeth me, He leadeth me. By His own hand, He leadeth me. His faithful follower, I would be. For by His hand, He leadeth me. May that be our prayer. His faithful follower, I would be. For by His hand, He leadeth me. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You desire to lead us, to restore us. And I thank You, Lord, for what You did in the life of Peter, to remind him of his calling, to remind him of of Your provision, to remind him of his own weakness, and to remind him that You had a plan for his life. And all he needed to do was to follow You step by step, day by day. Oh God, may that be the desire of our hearts today to follow you. We don't need to know where that will lead us. All we need to know is that you are guiding us. You'll provide for us. And you know what is best for us. Thank you, Lord, for your guiding, leading, blessing, providing hand in our lives day by day. We pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.